You are listening to The Heart of Christ, a year-long podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. Throughout 2022, we will spend time reflecting on Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, so we can come to know not only what Jesus has done, but who he is. What is his deepest heart for his people, people who are weary, stumbling, sinners, and sufferers? So we invite you to grab your Bibles, prepare your hearts, and come along with us as we find rest in the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. Welcome to episode 18 of The Heart of Christ. My name is Keith Linder, one of the pastors at Wheatland, and today I'm joined by Samuel Spatola and Luke Leduc. And in today's episode, we'll be discussing chapters 20 and 21 of Gentle and Lowly, which talk about the lavish love of God. But guys, before we get going on those specific chapters, I wanted to ask you if you could reflect on what it's been like to read this book uh, in community rather than just reading it uh, on your own. So reading this book, knowing that others are reading it and reflecting on it, and how has that changed or shaped the experience of reading this book? Yeah, I'll go. Um, I guess I come at this, there's, I can answer this in two ways. Um, I actually gifted this to my dad before I read it myself. And um, he's going through it like a substantially. Or, did you give him a free one? I, from no, the church, no, or did you? No, okay. I, I, I you said cover. gifted it. I wanted to make Did you it. use your expense account? I may, I, may have, I may have bought it for myself and then gifted okay, it. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, so it was, it was, I experienced it a bit just through talking through some of the bigger ideas and things in the book with him in the middle of a pretty rough patch in his own life. Um, and then I got to read it with um, the young adults last spring, and we sped through it more quickly than, than what the church read it. So you and didn't read it in community with the with wider the church, church. Just church. With the young adults. You just did your own thing yes. with your little group of friends. Yeah. Right. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. continue yeah. on, though. Sure. Um, so in about, I think, in the space of three months, we read through all 20-something chapters of the book. And... Um, and obviously that, that experience was much richer than hearing it just through the perspective of one person. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, it, it, what I really appreciate about reading it with other people was that we would come to the, to the chapters with different questions, and at times questions that were not like fully answered or resolved in our own minds. But as we kept reading and kind of pushing through it, stuff became more clear, and I think that was really helpful to kind of process that together. And obviously when you're reading with other people, they bring up questions that, or things that maybe never would have occurred to you, and so that is incredibly helpful as well, just to hear from other learners and other people um, reading the same text you are. But yeah, so for me it was really positive and helpful to read it with a small group of people. Yeah, I think um, Terry Lynn and I, we read it in concert with the entire church, like as a group. Mm-hmm. We didn't like have our own little club and read it at our own pace. The prescribed pace. pace. Right, yeah, we tried to, you know, be team players on that. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, no, I think what, we we did read it together, but I think what was interesting is sort of like Samuel's um, report that basically the people around you brought different questions to it that you didn't bring, and that made you 
reflect on different parts of it in ways that you wouldn't have before. I, what I found with Terry Lynn in the moments that we would talk about, and again, we didn't talk about every single chapter, but what we found was this task that we were working on together, and I think for us it's right now it's raising a family and rearing children and all of that. I think I found us talking about this book mostly under Terry Lynn's savvy leadership, um, talking about how this book helped reframe some of our parenting, um, thinking about God's love for his children, um, what became a lens for us of not only thinking about how God loves us, but how we refract, reflect, whatever the word is there, how that gets reflected back into our own family life, through, particularly through our parenting. So I think if we weren't reading that together um, while doing a common task, I don't think we would have probably had those same conversations. So that was, that, it's been really, actually, the, the couple of discussions that we've had about that has been really rich and fruitful and been something that um, has, has, yeah, borne fruit in our thinking and parenting, I think. Yeah, for me too, it's so, at least for me, it's rare to read books with other people. I mean, typically I'm just reading a book. And then I tend to have questions as I'm reading a book. And I have nowhere to go with them. Because I, I can ask other people. Well, I've seen your books. You put question marks in the margins. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. read your books and I, you. And I could take those questions to other people, but it's different if they've read through a book mm -hmm. with me. Uh, and then we're both wrestling with some of these questions. So that's what I've really appreciated, is to have questions come out of reading a chapter, but then have other people who are also wrestling with these same ideas and be able to hear. So whether it's on a Sunday night and people stand up and are sharing little testimonies and how they've connected ideas to their life, or just in conversation with other people. Um, also, other people have come to me and said, I I'm reading this chapter, and this is a question that I had, and then we get to go through it together in ways that it, it's just richer and deeper than if I'm reading a book all on my own. And so, I, yeah, I really yeah. appreciate it. I've, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah. That's, this, a, that's interesting, I think, because that's, in many ways, this is not, you know, Orland's book is not the scriptures, but that idea of reading in community would have been very much the way that most of the church for most of Christian history experienced the scriptures was that them being read in community by a leader and the rest of the gathered group listening and hearing it. And yeah, so that's an interesting. Yeah, like for example, we in men's Bible study on Monday, we were reading in Matthew 15 about Jesus' interaction with the Canaanite woman when she asks, says even the the crumbs that fall into the table that even the dogs and I and I read that story and our I'm, what I'm always wrestling with is like how can Jesus refer to her as a dog like what's going on and how can and my focus is on Jesus and my struggle with what Jesus says and I go into Bible study and a bunch of the guys were just overwhelmed by the faith of the woman and I know Jesus says that at the end that she has great faith and 
Well, but when I was reading it by myself, I got so focused in on hmm. Jesus and sort of what, what are you doing? Why are you talking that way? And then, but then when I sit there in community with other people, and they're bringing a, they came at it from a completely different angle, not ignoring the struggle mm-hmm. with Jesus. And I wouldn't have had that. Had, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have walked away from that passage, uh, being, yeah, hit and impacted by that woman's faith had I read it on my own. Mm-hmm. But because of I heard the, their conversation, yeah, it shaped the way that I heard the passage and walked out. Rather than questioning God, I walk out of that passage overwhelmed by this woman's faith. And encouraged by it as well. That's good. I, I mean, that kind of underscores just the absolute like gift that that Christian community can. I mean, with all its difficulty, it, it actually is for us. Like mm-hmm. we can read something like that, and yeah, hear like I mentioned just a minute ago, hear from other learners, and they, they are coming at it from a completely different perspective and help balance off. I think some of our own readings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of we're doing chapters 20 and 21 at the beginning of chapter 20 here uh ortland encourages us with this idea that he says we should ask whether we're living for the heart of christ or from the heart of christ and he says it a bunch of different ways he says uh are we living for the smile of god or are we living from the smile of god and he argues in here that the in a sense the battle of the christian life is bringing our hearts into alignment with Jesus's heart as we see our identity as a child of God rather than someone who's working to earn God's approval and love. And I know that's not a new idea because in a sense that's been this book yeah, right. uh, in one sense. But he is coming at it from a slightly different angle as I guess in a sense all these chapters he's saying somewhat the same thing from a slightly different angle or through a different window. So this one is that we're living for are we living for the smile of God or from the smile of God? Yeah. And so he he reminds us somewhere early in the chapter that it's not that our obedience doesn't strengthen God's love, but God's love strengthens our obedience. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to hear from you guys if you could talk about your journey in in life in a sense, wrestling with this truth, or how has as you've gone through your life, whether it's different family experiences or church experiences, how has this truth taken hold or how has it been a struggle uh, to to see your lives as living from this smile of God or from God's love rather than for God's love? Yeah, I think like Ortland... He keeps coming at this same thing from all these different directions, which is really, really helpful. And what this made me think of was, uh, it's a little bit different, so I'm going to go take it a little bit different direction. But I remember, like, distinctly a time of learning through a very difficult process of having something taken away from me that all of a sudden realizing that the years that I had been serving in pastoral ministry, um, five years just before I went to seminary, that that five years of seminary or that five years of pastoral ministry before I went to seminary was very good and it was rich and I learned a lot in it but I was very much operating out of 
this paradigm uh, of seeking, doing things for the smile of God rather than living out of this deep and full awareness of God's love for me and how it, how it manifested, how that manifested in my own, um, in my situation during those years was, uh, I think good was done, uh, clearly. There was good things that happened through my ministry at this church and that sort of thing. But I realized that in many ways, I was doing all of this stuff for what it, how it made me feel. So like it made me feel like I had the smile of God when I did this and when there was successes here and when there's that. And it wasn't until that was taken away from me um, and I was laying on the couch for a couple of months in this depression um, uh, that lasted I, maybe five or six months. I, I got off the couch a couple of times. I wasn't like on the couch the entire six months. But it wasn't until that was taken away from me and I was laying there in that, that I realized that this whole thing had been largely about me earning the smile of God or me finding satisfaction in, in it. And that, that's how it manifested for me is that in the middle of all that, I was doing all this to find some sense of satisfaction from God in it. Maybe what Portland is talking about, the smile of God. Uh, but I wasn't living out of, I wasn't doing this out of a deep awareness that God had already poured out all of his love upon me and that that was a joy that I could operate out of. And it wasn't until seminary like reflecting back on that period that I thought, wow, I was using my gifts in order to get something rather than sharing my the gifts that had been given me with the church because God had loved me so much and had poured out. And I, I, I was operating out of, I'll do this so I can get this, rather than what a gift uh, of love that I've received in Jesus and how captivated I am by it. And now I want to share that with my church family. So that, I don't know if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, that's I, a long-winded way to sort of try and unpack that. But that's some of what I experienced. That was a paradigm shift for me. I'm still learning that, by the way. That's not a dumb deal. But I remember that shift. That's mm -hmm. dangerous because it's so subtle. I, it can be. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it can be quite overt. But I imagine for most Christians who are seeking to be faithful in obedience, it, it's really subtle, and it's hard to tell. Wait, how am I? Am I living for the love of God or, mm -hmm. or out of the mm -hmm. love of God? And maybe sometimes you really discover how you're living when that thing is taken away, yeah. and you're not able to uh, produce the result and so what, what hurts about the lack of producing that result? Is it because now I don't feel good anymore because I'm not getting that response that I used to get? Or is, or is it uh, it hurts because I want to serve these people. I want these people to be helped and loved and fed. Mm. And I feel like if that's what hurts, maybe that is a marker that 
we're living at, from the love of God mm -hmm. for others, that when we do hit some period of inactivity or whatever it is, that what we miss is the ministering to other people and, and the, the caring for them. But what we don't miss is this, well, like, I don't feel good anymore because mm. I can't do this and I can't accomplish that task. But I do think it's, it's subtle, which makes it yeah. even more difficult. And, and I think it's important to say that in the middle of that, God, God takes all of our weakness and our misunderstanding and our misplaced motivations and he, yeah, right. he uses right. broken uh, vessels for his glory and yet he's also refining us and and moving us toward you know greater intimacy with him and faithfulness and yeah so that, that makes me then ask if because you I, I agree God uses us in all of our stumbles and trips and falls, and when we do things for the wrong motivations, God still uses it uh, to achieve his ends. So then it makes me want to ask, or actually ask, what difference does it make? So so what if, uh, if I have the wrong... If I'm living for the love of God, uh, particularly, well, maybe, maybe for me, what difference does it make? if I'm living for the love of God or from the love of God, and also for the people that I'm interacting with. If I'm loving my next-door neighbor, but I'm doing it in some way to so God will love me more and accept me more, how does, does that matter for my neighbor? Or it doesn't really matter to them. I, I don't care what your motivations are. Uh, you were generous toward me, and it doesn't matter. So like, what difference does it make, or why does it matter uh, as you think about our, our life why does it matter that if we're still obeying and the result is still obedience why does it matter I wonder if at one level the easiest question to answer is this sort of goes back to what I just said before at one level it doesn't matter because God <laughs> uses mm -hmm. our misplaced motivations he uses our um, insufficient understandings um, <clears throat> because our whole lives are this process of maturing and being matured and, and we're always coming to understand. Yeah. And so there's, I think I, that's at least only the beginning of an answer that at one level, I, yeah. it, it I, still is used by God. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't wait till like we're perfectly... Mm loving God or being loved by God to do good works and to love yeah, our neighbors. Good. And I think um, uh, there'd probably be advantage either way, like whatever yeah. kind of mode you're, you're operating out of. You, you could really, ideal. Yeah. Sorry, you could really yeah. get lost in the sauce trying to right. suss out your yeah. internal. Uh, yeah. And, and I think, right, Luke, like, I mean, I think, yeah, that, that's part of what it means to be human is that you, it is delivered imperfectly or you, you love imperfectly or you do good deeds and works out of, um, wrong places at time or poor motivations um, but that kind of that, that up and down I mean it seems to be I've been recently looking at the life of Jacob a little bit with my son Dylan and I mean, his life is just non-stop and it's going to mimic like Israel's mm -hmm. own kind of history of this up and down like consistent inconsistent things but out of good and pretty good motives and really bad places as well so yeah I, I think regardless your neighbor is advantaged and, and we ought to be doing that mm -hmm. yeah so like if I ask 
if I need 20 bucks from Sammy and uh, my wallet's he's, already out. he's yeah. cussing <laughs> under his breath when he gives it or, you know, he still probably looks the same when he gives it, but whether he's cussing under his breath or whatever, it's the 20 bucks given is, is given and God yeah. uses that. Yeah, but I don't think that's the end of the story either. And I know, Luke, we've talked about this before, and you mentioned, maybe you don't want to say anything else about it, but that it's helpful for our longevity as Christians. Uh, that if we, if yeah, that if we are, if our actions are always for, for the love of God, right, that that becomes, uh, it's exhausting. Yeah, right. Sir, yeah, I think it, it, it service. Um, sacrifice, sacrifice maybe is a better word to, to frame this under. If, if we're doing it, and I think maybe in that conversation, you were, we were talking about when you're doing it out of the smile of God, there's a certain level of endurance because you're not so dependent upon how whatever it is you offer is received um I, those things are still important we're not automatons we're not like oh yeah i can just keep loving others and it doesn't matter what they do to me that's obviously not how we experience life as humans and you know but i do think that um when you are living out of God's love for you, the responses or the res the responses from others or the results that you're seeing in your work or life or ministry do not have that um, effect that you're either so so high when it's when things are going or you're so there, there's more of an even keeled hmm. approach to this love and sacrifice for the other. And I think that that's part of Christian maturity too, it's making that swap from, from living for the smile to out of the smile, if that's the, yeah. or for the love rather than out of the love. But I, I think there's something really important in um, being able to endure criticisms and hard times and pushback uh, that comes when you're able to live out of the love of God rather than feeling like you're constantly needing others or needing affirmation. Um, and maybe that's through others, you know, that sort of thing. So the one thing I, I think that even well, it's related to both of what you're saying, but even Samuel, your use of Jacob or pretty much any character in the Bible, yeah. I guess, uh, Ortland says, in, couple sentences he says the gospel is the invitation to let the heart of christ calm us into joy for we've already been discovered included and brought in and we can bring our up and down moral performance into subjection to the settled fixedness of what jesus feels about us hmm. and i think that probably produces longevity mm -hmm. uh, that even in the midst of the up and down performance yeah. the gospel keeps telling you this truth of the fixedness of what Jesus feels about us, that as we go all over the place, um, God's love for us doesn't follow that mm -hmm. rolling. That that's the consistency yeah. uh, in our in our lives, and that does 
yeah. to build in longevity. If we yeah. if we rest in that, or if we're calmed into joy, as mm. as Orland describes, that's really helpful because I think just about every human relationship it, it doesn't function like that. Like mm-hmm. like I I generally like people more or less based on how they treat me, and I mean that it's not always immediately obvious or whatever, but like mm-hmm. that does affect it. Like it, it is. It's not steady and consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's actually pretty encouraging. You just encouraged me. Yeah, I think that. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you I, I think, be a pastor. Uh, yeah. I considered it. Um, yeah, I think about like, in the same way that um, Melanie's committed, consistent love for me as a reflection of God's love. Twenty years 20 of committed. Years, that's true. Today, years, friends, is Keats. Uh, this is October the. I don't know what date it is. 19. 20 years. Congrats, by the way. Yeah, and in the same way that that commitment and love to me, I, it frees me from, um, it, like, it frees me from the sort of living on the edge of, mm-hmm. of wondering mm-hmm. what's going to happen every time right. I right. stumble and fall, or every time I don't respond to her in a way that right. I should. I'm, yeah. I'm no longer living on the edge. I'm, I'm still fully committed to being more and more faithful to her mm-hmm. every single day. But I'm not scared to death of it when I fail because I know that she is also mm-hmm. committed to me. And I think that's a, a wonderful yeah. reflection of that's, God's love. That's a really great analogy, I think. And um, I think is a hallmark of like immature relationships versus mature relationships, marriage or otherwise, single yeah. friends. I mean, that is in, in one of the um, indicators of yeah. rest in a relationship is is that aspect of what you're talking about. And it, it reminds me even of our corporate worship in a sense. And that is that we're always coming in to hear those words repeated over and over. You're always going to hear the gospel. I mean, that's why what we're doing on Sundays is part of Christian maturity, not just because you're learning more or being confused more, (laughs) depending on, but because you're hearing over and over again those words of, of reality that God has loved you in Jesus, just sort of what, which is one of the maturing things about Ortland's book that I think some people have interpreted as uh, he just keeps going on and on about the same things. But like being able to come at the same thing from another angle and another angle and another angle, that's how our vocabulary yeah. is built and maturity is built too. Yeah, I think what you're kind of mentioning, Keith, is like another word for it. Like we can call it one, but we can also like, I think, look at it from a different angle. And it's highlighting like God's like fidelity to us that he like that is consistent and I mean I guess there's primarily like connections there maybe a fidelity but um yeah it, it's 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 it, it, I guess it's not just married relationships that you can experience this you can experience this in strong friendships that have lasted decades and years and years mm-hmm. but yeah that 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 confidence that that person is is committed to you and it's, it's a faithful friend a faithful spouse um yeah I, I, that 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 shapes us, and I think is really really essential for us because I think we, we second guess that pretty easily, and I, I, it feels pretty hard to come by in normal life. Like just mm-hmm. in most relationships, do not yeah. feel that they have that kind of um, again fidelity is like the word that's come to mind. Um, it, yeah, it is. It is lovely to think about 
our worship service as this repeated uh, reminder. Uh, in a sense, our, the structure of our worship service is designed to tell us the same story yeah. every single Sunday. Mm -hmm. and, and it says it from a slightly different angle because we'll mm -hmm. use a different confession of faith mm -hmm. or we'll use uh, yeah. a, a different verse in the assurance of pardon. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's a slightly different angle, but it is the same story. Yeah. It is, it's regrounding us uh, yeah. every, every single time into this, this deep, deep love of God that is, that is the thing that gives us calm and gives us hope in the yeah. midst of our lives. Uh, in chapter 21, he opens, Dane Orland opens with a quote of Jonathan Edwards somewhere early in there, and that he calls God's love an ocean without shores or bottom. Mm. And then Orland says later that God's love is as boundless as God himself. Mm -hmm. And then, as we know from Romans 5, all of this is demonstrated. All this is put on display for us in the death of Jesus Christ. So that Orland unpacks this idea that when we look at the death of Christ, we see God's, that's where we see the limitlessness of God's love. That it truly is an ocean without shores or bottom because he will go to any depth in order to display his love. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always struck with my own struggle in this, that even with this act of history that shapes all of history of God's love in the death of his son Jesus, the father's love in the death of his son Jesus, that we have this ultimate embodiment of love. I still struggle to, to believe that God will continue to love me. Like, even though I see that he is, will go to this the, the greatest depths or the, as far as you could possibly go to mm -hmm. give your own life. I still struggle yeah. um, with that. So you guys can fix it for me uh, today. But yeah, I, like, mm -hmm. why do you think it's so hard for us to still grasp that even with this, the most amazing story you could ever imagine in front of us uh, day after day, why yeah. is it so hard to grasp that God's love has no limit yeah. for us? Well, I think and, and I think Ortland mentions this in that chapter, is that we are always projecting our love on, we're, we're mapping God's love onto our love, or we're, maybe it's the other way around, we're mapping God's, our love onto God's love. What, what, whatever it is, when we think of God's love, we're thinking about our, the limits of our own love. Yeah. And um, I think that's at least the first thing that makes it really hard is that, and this is like, I think this is some of what I've been talking about in Leviticus, is our inability to grasp God's holiness as his otherness. Like he is, <laughs> he is creator, we are creature. This the holiness as distinction and God's holiness is his love that is nothing like our self-interest or or the, the failures of our own love the short patience in our own love that sort of thing yeah i think that's at least the first place mm -hmm. to go yeah i think there's like an unlearning that has to happen almost with kind of disassociating god like your understanding of love with what god's take on love is or how he loves us like that yeah. uh, i i suspect most believers like well 
kind of deal with that the bulk of their lives, or maybe for sure will. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. Like that, I, I'm not sure what to make of that either. That, that's yeah, I think struggle for all of us. I, I think that's interesting. Like, if you said, if you asked somebody, what is God's? God is holy. What is His holy love like? Um, I wonder if that's where they would go. I don't. I wonder if you asked me that. What What would be my first response? Would it be it is this boundless ocean without bottom or shore, or would it be something along the lines of, um, well, it's His holy love is. It is moral. There, there's something about the quality of God's love that is more moral than mm-hmm. than our love, and I think that's true. And yet, um, there's this emphasis that, and I found this as I was working through Leviticus and thinking about holiness. Is I think our first innate responses are thinking moral versus immoral, holy, unholy, rather than first starting with that category of other which I think with God's love means boundless rather than bounded and self-interested. Yeah, Yeah, and the particular thing I think I struggle with, and Ortland talked about this somewhere in the book, so I don't know if it's these chapters or not, but is that I I believe the story, I mean, I believe all this, but I, I particularly believe, and I think it has grabbed hold of my heart, that God loved me while I was a sinner and died for me and so like his love expressed to my justification mm-hmm. it's what i really struggle with is that well now i should know better now mm-hmm. and i should do yeah. better now and i'm spirit filled and so now things should be different so now when i sin as a follower of jesus and especially a person who's been a follower of jesus in some capacity someone for, might i say who is paid to be a follower yeah, of jesus yeah, yeah right yes <laughs> so now yeah, now when I sin and struggle, it's harder for me to grasp that God continues to put up with me. It's not the right word, but that's the way, that's maybe what I spin yeah. in my head. Um, because, well, you should be better than this now. Now, sure, before, yeah. and you didn't really have yeah. a good grasp of this, but now, that's, that's what mm-hmm. I, that's, that's the, the thing that seeks, uh, that sneaks in to my thinking, into my mind and my heart, that. God did love me for my justification, but now for my sanctification. He's raised the expectation. Yeah, yeah. And when I don't meet it, he is pretty disappointed in a way that he kind of gave me a pass earlier. And that, yeah. that's where I particularly struggle with um, seeing God's love as, as deep, deeper than the ocean. It's, the current, it's my current struggle. Yeah, I mean... I. And this is not to knock you, but like I think that's how we treat. Yeah, but I think that's how we treat most people, right? I mean, I think like I'm more disappointed in my children who are older, <laughs> right? Than uh, I am in my yeah, younger ones. Yeah. Like, they should know better. Like you've been around longer, you know, like the drill here. What? And so I think, yeah, yeah that, that, and that guess that's what I mean. When I meant earlier, like, there there is an unlearning that needs to take place of, yeah, flipping how you yeah. how you pursue I, that. Um, yeah, no, I think that's really helpful to point out the idea of children because I, I think that's one of the areas in which Terry Lynn and I have had discussions. And by that, I mean Terry Lynn has sat me down and pointed out to me <laughs> that 
I can be the sort of father who expects um, a lot from someone who is actually not, I mean, yeah, but they're five years old. Like that statement goes both ways, right? And I'm always saying that statement, you know, but they're five years old like instead of, old. Yeah. but they're five years old. You know, the, yeah, the yeah. different, they're only five or they're already five. So I, yeah, I think that's a really insightful thing that we demand of other people around yeah. us. And, and I've even heard people say, well, if you've ever worked with someone who is really impossible to work with, so you two know exactly what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. but they will say, um, well, I expect even more of myself than I expect of you. And so, like, if you if if they're being hard to live with in yeah. some scenario, the thing their one defense is, yeah, I may be hard to live with, but believe me, I'm way harder on myself mm -hmm. than I am on you. And you're like, well, it, maybe there's a problem there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, I I don't know, was it Bruce Malinie or something who would say uh, say that like Jesus loves me is the best. Song or like or that that like that's the truth that we mm -hmm. have to keep reminding ourselves of. It's the simplest song yeah. that we've ever that you've ever heard, but it's also mm -hmm. the, the deepest truth that really should continue to. That's the thing that holds us together. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's God's yeah. love, and I think not that not that Dane Orland doesn't want us to take these things and apply them to our life mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. But it often does feel for me like the application is just to, to rest <laughs> in yeah. every single chapter. No, I'm really saying that Jesus loves you. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, really, listen, I'm saying yes. Jesus loves I know. you. That's how yeah. I feel at the end of every chapter. I'm thinking, oh, so how does this make my interaction with this person different? Mm -hmm. uh, that is true. All of this stuff obviously shapes the way that we interact with people, and God's love does compel me to obedience and all those things. But that, yeah, that that's what I hear Orton saying in the back of my head every time. I've it's heard like, no, people, no, really, yeah. Jesus loves. I've me. heard people criticize the book for that for that very reason. Like, well, you know, if you keep talking about love. Um, you know, God is also angry. Don't forget. Yeah, don't yeah. forget. I mean, you can talk about God's love, but don't forget, he's also angry with sin and he mm -hmm. judges sin. and yeah. Which is all true at one level. But I think what Ortland has come to us to say is, you know, your real problem isn't that you You're not believe seeing the judgment. Yeah, yeah. You, you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you got you got that because I see the way you treat your wife, and I see the way you, way you treat your kids. Mm -hmm. You got judgment down. What you what? And and I feel like this is, and and I'm not speaking. I'm this is anecdotal here. Like that's where I struggle. Yeah. yeah. And I think while I'm on a soapbox, um, historically, I think there's. There's reason for that in the evangelical church in this country. I, I can only speak locally and out of our own experience, my own experience, but on this matter. But I, in, so I'm 46. And in my upbringing in the 80s, um, what the evangelical church was trying to do 
in my upbringing was reject what started way back in the early 1900s and they were still distancing themselves from a liberal um, mainline sort of notion that said God is love and that's all that that there is. That was the answer to everything. Yeah, everything was the answer to God's love. And I think that's actually still true. That's the shame of it all. The answer is that God's love is the answer to everything. But God's love may look a little different than what they conceived love to be, such as permissiveness or whatever, you know, but actual love and God's love for humans and God's love for their flourishing, which means boundaries and which means all, all sorts of things in, in that wasn't unpacked. Um, but I think in my evangelical experience, what was always being um, told to me was be careful about God's love because it's a slippery slope into permissiveness or license, um, yeah. Yeah, or license. Yeah, and yeah. you've got to be really careful about God's love because we're still suffering the effects from it in American Christianity at, at that point. And um, so I don't know. That's I'm not I'm not a historian, but I know a few historians and I've read a few, and I think there's something interesting about that and how being raised or reared in that tradition yeah. um it leaves a mark, and it, it's a good thing to be aware of, I think, but also it shapes us, and I think what, I said this before, I think what Orland has done here has been counterformative in a really helpful mm. way. I, I, I noticed some of that even reading through with the young adults in my exclusive. Too quickly. But too yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah, too quickly. Yeah. Probably didn't have a private club. club. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, For 1995, you can join yeah. the Samuel <laughs> Spadolo Reading Club. Of Patreon. Yeah, Patreon. Patreon no, but that came up a few times, I think, in the months of us reading the book. Questions to the effect, can it really be this good or the, mm. and true that God is, or that, that Christ is this loving or this forgiving? So I think, again, like I think that, that is around many evangelical circles and churches and movements and networks and all that, that there's some apprehension to, or there's some pumping of the brakes maybe when we, when we talk about a God that is this loving and this... Um, yeah, forgiving of our, of our sins, of our mm -hmm. shortcomings, um, all that. Because what we can say with a straight face is that God's love is also his justice that restores the world. Like that, <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry. I'm, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, you were going to say something profound, I think. No, I, I, you're right. Because God's love isn't just the way that we've defined it in our in our right. minds or or culturally defined it that God's love yeah. is all encompassing. So yeah. yeah, so it includes yeah, I was just going to say that God's love is motivating to do all sorts. It's not just motivation to be nice. And I think that's that's mm -hmm. our fallback. Oh, right. love it means nice. It's and it's not motivation to be mean, but it's yeah, love moves toward justice, which yeah, is making all things right, which also mm -hmm. means punishing evil and like and yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah, God's love moves us. And I, maybe that brings full circle to the beginning of the chapter, that in the end, we, we live from or out of God's yeah. love. And that doesn't mean we just uh, say please and thank you, but it moves us to do 
to be God's image bearers in the world mm -hmm. and imaging him in all, imaging his justice, imaging his generosity, imaging his goodness, mm -hmm. imaging his love, imaging his his Anger boundaries, his, good, his yeah. good and wise boundaries that he's put in the world. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it really is, what has jumped out at me, I guess, in, you know, we've been through Genesis and Exodus, and now we're in Leviticus. Um, in some form or fashion, we've dealt in each of those books. And what continues to astound me each week as I'm studying that may or may not come across in the sermons. But what continues to astound me is that it is God's desire for humanity that is the narrative of Scripture. It is His love and desire for His people that is the bottom line narrative that, that's that thread that runs through all the way and makes sense of the entire story. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense in, in, in many ways. And I, yeah, that just continues to get underlined, which is, I think, why sitting with Ortland over these last 12 or 10 months that we've been doing this has been a, a, sort of been another way. He's doing systematic theology about God's love and, and the love of Jesus from these different places, but it supports the biblical theology of, of the grand story of the scriptures in a really, really beautiful way, I think. Yeah. And, and the next, so the last two chapters, 22 and 23, in a sense, he gets to the end of the story. And so, so the next time, that we chat or I chat with someone else if I'm sick of talking to you guys, is that, that God's love is not just for us in, in the beginning, in Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, but that God's love for his people and the world carries through yeah. the whole way to the end of right. the story. And that's, that's what he gets to yeah. in, the, in the last couple of chapters, which is a lovely way. I'm yeah. glad he does it this way yeah. because then it ends with, hey, like this is where we're, this is where, the story of love is not just in the beginning and middle. Like, this is where it's going. Right. It's going yeah. to continue to go. I think that's so important. I, I actually had that written down on my page here as we were coming into this conversation. That idea of the, un, the ongoing, unending nature of God's love has a telos. It has this goal. And it is the restoration of all things by the love of God for the world. And it's just a remarkable that it's the beginning, it's the end, and it is carried all the way through. Well, thanks, friends. Uh, this is, we'll do one more of these, uh, or I'll do one more of these, and uh, it's been good, and I'm looking forward to yeah. doing this last one and uh, continue to talk with our people. Yeah, thanks to you, Keith, for carving out time to do this. Samuel, thank you, and uh, yeah. Glad to be a part of it. Thank you for listening to The Heart of Christ, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit wheatlandpca.org.